Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Tuesday, February 6th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast that is dedicated to prayer, devotion, reading of scripture, and Bible study. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing a great job for the kingdom. So I would encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there you want to listen to. And there's a very real good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right. Well, I want to apologize for this weekend. Um, I got very, very, very tied up. I, I ended up having to build to the point um, Sunday morning. I had to teach Sunday school and then preach two sermons. Um, so needless to say, I didn't get the Bible study and stuff ready. Um, I, I hope you enjoyed. Um, well, maybe not even enjoyed. Um, I hope my sermon that I shared for you to you for my Monday episode um, that was the one I preached Sunday morning at our, at our church at Vail Valley Baptist church. Um, I hope that that, uh, resonated with you, that there was some conviction. I, I know there was for me. And I think that was obvious through the sermon is, uh, there was a lot of conviction for me through that. Um, it really kind of beat on me all week, as I said, but with it being Tuesday and I've done my study, so we're going to do our Bible reading for this morning segment, and we're going to be back in our Bible study. Um, so God willing, nothing else <laughs> happens um, between this evening, Tuesday evening here, and Wednesday evening. We will wrap up our study in John 17, and we can move on to John 18. So with that being said, why don't we go ahead and get started with the third day morning prayer. It's called God, Creator, and Controller. Let's pray. Most high God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience and suffering. Who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty and made it honorable. May we be justified, sorry, may we be justified, where do I go, by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and excuse me, and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use not abuse its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary. When we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way, excite in us abhorrence of sin, wean us from the present evil world, assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land, where none is ever sick and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right, and the February 6th morning devotion from Spurgeon's morning and evening, uh, the, uh, let's see, the text for it is from Ephesians 6, 18, praying always. What multitude of prayers we have put up from the first moment when we learned to pray. Our first prayer was a prayer for ourselves. We asked that God would have mercy upon us and blot out our sin. 
blot out our sins. Excuse me. He heard us, but when he had blotted out our sins like a cloud, then we had more prayers for ourselves. We have had to pray for sanctifying grace, for constraining and restraining grace. We have been led to crave for a fresh assurance of faith, for the comfortable application of the promise, for deliverance in the hour of temptation, for help in the time of duty, and for succor in the day of trial. We have been compelled to go to God for our souls as constant beggars asking for everything. Bear witness, children of God, you have never been able to get anything for your souls elsewhere. All the bread your soul has eaten has come down from heaven, and all the water of which it has drank has flowed from the living rock. Christ Jesus the Lord. Your soul has never grown rich in itself. It has always been a pensioner upon the daily excuse me, daily bounty of God, and hence your prayers have ascended to heaven for a range of spiritual mercies, all but infinite. Your wants were innumerable, and therefore the supplies have been infinitely great, and your prayers have been as varied as the mercies have been countless. Then have you not cause to, then have you not cause to say, I love the Lord, because he hath heard the voice of my supplication. For as your prayers have been many, so also have been God's answers to them. He has heard you in the day of trouble, has strengthened you, and helped you, even when you dishonored him by trembling and doubting at the mercy seat. Remember this and let it fill your heart with gratitude to God, who has thus graciously heard your poor weak prayers. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. All right. Well, our reading for today is going to be from Exodus 23, verse 14 to the, through Exodus 25, verse 40. Uh, Matthew 24, verses 29 to 51, Psalm 30, and Proverbs 7, verses 24 through 27. So Exodus 23, starting in verse 14. Three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you, at the appointed time in the month Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Also you shall keep the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. Also the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord Yahweh. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor is the fat of my feast to remain overnight until morning. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your ground into the house of Yahweh your God. You shall not boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to keep you along the way, and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Keep watch of yourself before him, and listen to his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. But if you truly listen to his voice, and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you, and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will annihilate them. You shall not worship their gods, you shall not serve them, and you shall not do according to their deeds, but you shall utterly pull them down and shatter their sacred pillars in pieces. But you shall serve Yahweh your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. There shall be no one miscarrying or barren in your land. 
I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among whom you come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites before you. I will not drive them out drive them out before you in a single year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little, until you become fruitful and take the land as an inheritance. And I will set your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness of the river, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you will drive them out from before you. You shall cut no covenant with them or with their gods. They shall not live in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Exodus 24 then he said to Moses, Come up to Yahweh, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and you all shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to Yahweh, but they shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of Yahweh and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which Yahweh has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of Yahweh. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to Yahweh. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that Yahweh has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, and said, Behold the blood of the covenant, which Yahweh has cut with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they beheld God, and they ate. Excuse me and they ate and drank. Now Yahweh said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone ta tablets with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua his attendant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders he said, Remain here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of Yahweh dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And the appearance of the glory of Yahweh was like a consuming fire on the mountain top, in the eyes of the sons of Israel. Then Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Exodus 25 through to first verse 40, excuse me. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak with the sons of Israel, so that they take a contribution for me from every man whose heart is willing. You shall take my contribution. And this is the contribution which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for light, lighting, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense onyx, and for the fragrant, it's a, sorry, onyx stones, 
and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and let them make a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I am going to show you, as the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall make it. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, and one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and out, you shall overlay it, and you shall make a gold molding around it. You shall cast four gold rings for it, and fasten them on its four feet, and two rings shall be on one side of it, and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, to carry the ark with them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark, they shall not be removed from it. You shall put into the ark the testimony which I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, and, and one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim, sorry, two cherubim of gold, make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end, and one cherub at the other end. From one piece you shall make the mercy seat with the cherubim at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings, with their faces toward one another. The faces of the cherubim are to be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all which I will command you for the sons of Israel. You shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, and one cubit wide, and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold, and make a gold border around it. You shall make for it a rim of a handbreadth around it, and you shall make a gold border for the rim around it. You shall make four gold rings for it, and put rings on the four corners, which are on its four feet. The rings shall be close to the rim as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold, so that with them the table may be carried. You shall make its dishes, and its pans, and its jars, and its offering bowls, with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold. You shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. Then you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand, its base, and its shafts are to be made of hammered work. Its cups, its bulbs, its flowers shall be of the same piece. Six branches shall go out from its sides, three branches of the lampstand from its one side, and three branches of the lampstand from its other side. Three cup cups shall be shaped like almond blossoms in the one branch, a bulb and a flower, and three cups shaped like almond blossoms in the other branch, a bulb and a flower. So for the six branches going out from the lampstand, and in the lampstand four cups sh shaped like almond blossoms, its bulbs and its flowers. And a bulb shall be under the first pair of branches coming out of it, and a bulb under the second pair of branches coming out of it, and a bulb under the third pair of branches coming out of it. For the six branches coming out of the lampstand, their bulbs and their branches shall be of the same piece. All of it shall be one piece of hammered work of pure gold. Then you shall make its lamps seven in number, and they shall mount its lamps on, so as to shed light on the space in front of it. And its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made from a talent of pure gold with all these utensils, and see that you make them after the pattern for them which was shown to you on the mountain. Matthew 24, um, verses 29-51 through 51. 
But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For just as the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding grain at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know which um, which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and prudent slave, whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says, says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Psalm 30 A psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David. I will exalt you, O Yahweh, for you have lifted me up, and have not let my enemies be glad over me. O Yahweh my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. O Yahweh, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive, that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to Yahweh, you his holy ones, and give thanks for the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be shaken. O Yahweh, by your favor you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Yahweh, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Yahweh, and be gracious to me. O Yahweh, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Yahweh, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. All right, in Proverbs 7, verse 24 through 27. So now, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart go astray into her ways. Do not wander into her pathways, for many are the slain whom she has cast down, and numerous are all those killed by her. 
the ways to Sheol are in her house, descending to the chambers of death. All right. Well, that is our reading for this morning. Um, I thank you for spending this time with me. I'm very, very grateful um, for that. And sorry, got to find that. There we go. Um, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. We're going to go ahead and close out with another pair, prayer from Valley Vision. Excuse me. This one is called Christ Alone. Let's pray. O God, thy main plan and the end of thy will is to make Christ glorious and beloved in heaven, where he is now ascended, where one day all the elect will behold his glory and love and glorify him forever. Though here I love him but little, may this be my petition at last. In this world thou hast given me a beginning. One day it will be perfected in the realm above. Thou hast helped me to see and know Christ, though obscurely to take him, receive him, to possess him, love him, to bless him in my heart mouth life let me study and stand for discipline and all the ways of worship out of love for christ and to show my thankfulness to seek and know his will from love to hold it in love and daily to care for and keep this state of heart thou hast led me to place all my nature and happiness in oneness with christ in having heart and mind centered only on him in being like him in communicating good to others this is my heaven on earth but i need the force energy impulses of thy spirit to carry me on the way to my jerusalem here it is my duty to be as christ in this world to do what he would do to live as he would live to walk in love and meekness then would he be known then would i have peace in death amen all right again i hope you have yourself a wonderful day and i hope to see you for the evening segment have a good one god bless Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday, February 6th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, well, we're going to be getting into our back into our study of John chapter 17, trying to wrap that chapter up, move on into John 18. First, we're going to open up in, with prayer. Um, again, this prayer is from At the Throne of Grace. It's a collection of prayers by John MacArthur. Um, if I remember correctly, it's supposed to be have been assembled by his children. Um so let's see, the one we're going to be using today is called the aching heart being satisfied in Christ. And I'm going to warn you, this is going to be a very long one because like, like, like I've said before, um, it leads in with text from the scripture and then the prayer. This prayer is a long prayer, but the text that leads it in is the totality of second Corinthians three. So just be ready. So this is the aching heart being satisfied in Christ. So second Corinthians three, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with writ, not with ink, sorry, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses, because of the glory of his faiths, 
fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whatever Moses, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. All right. Let's pray. Almighty God, your judgments are unsearchable and your ways unfathomable. From you and through you and to you are all things. We are not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. Our only adequacy is what we receive from your gracious hand. You created us, not we ourselves. But you, by your grace alone we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. You have made us partakers in a glorious new covenant. In Jesus Christ we can see the unveiled brightness of your glory face to face. We are therefore participants in the ministry of righteousness and living reflections of that glory which does not fade away. All the tainted glory of this fallen world is fading away. We rejoice in that knowledge and we look forward to the coming of your kingdom. When the glory of Christ will shine brightly throughout the earth, all the earth, in the meantime we can't earnestly desire to be vessels of his glory, reflecting the beauty of his moral perfection and establishing the honor of his name, so that all the world may see and hear. Yet we know, Lord, that sin has blinded the minds of those who do not know Christ. A veil has been erected that obscures eternal truth from the hearts of so many. Make us a living letter, not with ink and paper, but by the Spirit of the living God, to be known and read by all, so that the ministry of righteousness may truly abound in glory. We grieve over the heartache caused by sin. We know that the consequences of evildoing are always bitter. Although temptation invariably comes to us with promises of ease, comfort, pleasure, and self-gratification, we have learned the hard way that every fruit of evil is thoroughly and inevitably corrupt. We know from the testimony of your word that sin is what unleashed pain and suffering into the universe in the first place. Help us to be mindful of that when we are tempted and help us to hate sin, even more than we despise sin's consequences. How our hearts rejoice that Christ has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. He delivers our souls from death. And he keeps our feet from stumbling, so that we might walk before you in the light of life. He is the one who said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Only he can salve all the pains of your hearts and satisfy the of our hearts, excuse me, and satisfy the deepest longing of our souls. That is why, dear Father, we come to worship you in Jesus' name. By him we have obtained access into your presence, because of his sacrifice on our behalf. We have received full pardon for all our sins. We come clothed in the spotless garment of his perfect righteousness. Nevertheless, we come with a deep sense of spiritual poverty, marveling that we can be so loved and lavished with such grace when we are so often forgetful of your goodness and so prone to self-indulgence. Lord, we thank you for that endless forgiveness that comes to us, and we praise you for having prepared for us a glorious eternal destiny. We trust you fully for the grace needed to to sustain us until our dying day, or until that day when we meet the Lord in the air to be with him forevermore. Hear our prayer, Father, for we offer it according to your will and in your Son's precious name. Amen. All right. And now our devotion for, I've got to move this, for February 6th. And sorry, I'm moving my marker around here. All right. So our devotion, uh, for, again, is from Glorifying God by Thomas Watson. So February 6th, the text for it is for first, from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are all our, um, I'm sorry, what are all our worldly enjoyments worth without the enjoyment of God? What is it to enjoy good health and a brave estate, but to not enjoy God? I went mourning without, mornings, I'm sorry, I went mourning without the sun, Job thirty twenty eight. So may thou say in the enjoyment of all creatures without God, I went mourning without the sun. I have the starlight of outward enjoyments, but I want the sun of righteousness. It should be our great design not only to have the ordinances of God, but the God of the ordinances. The enjoyment of God's sweet presence here on earth is the most contented life. He is a hive of sweetness, a magazine of riches, and a fountain of delight. The higher the lark flies, the sweeter it sings, and the higher we fly by the wings of faith, the more we enjoy of God. How is the heart inflamed in prayer and meditation? What joy and peace is there in believing? Is it not comfortable being in heaven? He that enjoys much of God in this life carries heaven about him. Oh, let this be the thing we are chiefly ambitious of, the enjoyment of God in his ordinances. The enjoyment of God's sweet presence here is a promise of our enjoying him in heaven. All right. Well, so we are going to get back into our study of John chapter 17. Um, and we are in the last three verses here. Uh, we have been, and I'm sorry, I'm opening up my commentary because while I did some studying, it was honestly, it was one of those that was really kind of hard. I've told you that before, kind of hard to take notes over and hang on a second. I need to drink a water here. Okay. An angel that's for you. Um, all right. And she knows what I mean. Um, so just to remind you, so you'll take a drink too. So, um, again, our gospel of John, uh, John 17. So as we've talked about before, this is, this, um, chapter is broken in, and this prayer, this prayer from Jesus Christ. And as we've talked about it, 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 this is the true Lord's prayer. Um, this is a conversation between our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ and our father in heaven, God. So between two point two, two 
two parts of the triune Godhead communicating together. So, and we've talked about it. It's broken into three parts. Again, first five verses, we see Jesus praying for himself and, and not in some kind of selfish way like you and I would. Um, and that's just, that's just us. I mean, I'm not proud of it. We shouldn't be proud of it, but, but we have to be honest about it. Um, but that, uh, we, he, what he's praying about is, is that he would be successful in glorifying God in completing this work of the kingdom in completing this work that, that God has sent him here for, um, through his active obedience, that, that of coming well active. And then his passive as he allows himself to be arrested. So that is the first five verses. And again, verse six to verse 19 is the portion where he prays for the disciples and we see him kind of set up. And we, we, like I've said before, we've got to remember, um, he is praying this out loud. So he's praying this to God. He's truly praying this to God. But at the same time, it's my belief. And I think it bears out that he's praying this out loud because he's, he's spent John 13 through 16, trying to strengthen these, these, the 11th faith trying to strengthen their faith, trying to prepare them, trying to get them ready because they still have a mission to do. And he's about to be arrested. He's about to be beaten. He's about to be tried, convicted falsely, and then murdered. So he's been trying to strengthen them. So I think at the same time, him saying this prayer out loud is meant at this, as well as laying out clear um, biblical truths and theological truths at the same time, verses six through 10 shows these 11 why God is going to answer the prayer Jesus is making. Now, Jesus already knows this. That's why I think he's doing it on purpose. Jesus already knows God's going to answer him because Jesus is praying in, in the will of God. We've talked about that before. He's praying in the will of God. Therefore, he's praying for the things that God wants him to pray for. Therefore, God is obviously going to answer it. And Jesus already knows this. So it doesn't do him any good to say these things out loud. But what it does do is it makes clear to these disciples that I'm praying, I'm these things I'm going to pray for, these requests I'm going to make, God is going to answer, and here's why. And we talked about that, um, that these are the ones that, that had believed in the Son, because they, they do have true belief at this point, and that they were given to him from the Father. They are his inheritance. They are a gift to him. So he knows God's going to answer these requests. And then we see the two requests in verses 11 through 19. A request for spiritual protection and a request for sanctifying purity. Okay? So those are the, those are the two requests for the disciples. Then he goes on. We get into that the last six verses, or last seven verses, excuse me, verse 20 through 26, where Jesus is praying for all believers. These are for all of those. And it makes clear in verse 20, I do not ask on on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So that's us. Everybody who's come to belief through the words of the apostles, through the New Testament, who come from the, from the, from the ministry of the gospel. That's who he's talking about. So that's us. So he's praying for, for the rest of us, verse 20 through 26. So, and, and we, we, we kind of broke this into part, two parts. The first part was about unity. That's really the first request is that request for unity. Um, and we see that we saw that broken down and talking about the root of true unity, which is belief, the request for true unity, the representation of true unity and the results of true unity. Then we looked at the second part and that's where we are 
that's where we are today. This part two, um, it, it was um, titled by Dr. MacArthur that they would one day be reunited in glory. And again, it's talking about that future glory. And so we saw last week um, the fellowship of that future glory, that fellowship of that future glory. Um, and it's that, that desire that they also, all of us, whom we've been given to him, that we would be with him where he is, that we'd be with him where he is. Again, he's speaking of us joining him in heaven. Again, that's that, that, that fellowship of future glory, that we would be with him where he is, that we would join him in heaven. And again, you know, we think back to, uh, John 14 verses one through six, he's talking about was well, particularly one through three. He's talking about that, you know, he he's gone, he's going to make a place for them. He's talking to the disciples going to make a place for them. And then he's going to come back and get them and take them there to be with him. That's what he's talking about. In this case, he's talking about it for us, that he's praying that we would be there with him, that, that, that upon our glorification, upon our passing or upon his second coming, when he comes to get in the rapture, we would all then be with him where he is in heaven. So we saw that. That's the fellowship of future glory. What we're looking at today is the focus of future glory. So I'm just going to read verses 24 through 26, this whole section about that they would one day be reunited in glory. And again, it's that reuniting in that future glory. So John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made you your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. All right. So like I said, we're, what we're looking at, so we looked at last week, the fellowship of future glory. So what we're looking at today is the focus of future glory. Um, part of that focus, what we're going to be focusing on, what we're going to be looking at, in that future glory. So this is verse 24b, so second part. So 24a was, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. 24b builds off that. That's what we're looking at. So here's 24b, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So he's asked for the, like I said, the fellowship of future glory, that we would be with him where he is, but there's a purpose for it. What the focus is, what the reason is for that. And it's so that we, so that they may see my glory so that we can see Christ's glory, which God has given him. So let, let's talk about that. So, so there's a number of things that this relates to. One, it's for us to see the glory of the fact that he is up and seated at the right hand of God, the father almighty. He is set he's sitting in the seat of authority, the right-hand side of God. That is the side of authority. He's sitting in the right-hand side of God in that seat of authority. And he's been glorified. The, the fact is, um, as we see, as we read in Revelation, um, you see um, the four living creatures and the 24 elders and all the, all the heavenly host singing and celebrating and praising the Lamb, praising Christ. So that's part of what he wants us to see. But we also have to think about it. It's actually kind of funny reading about, um, reading uh, 2 Corinthians 3 that we just read from our, um, for our prayer. Uh, it actually surprised me that that was, that was a fortuitousness. That was a, 
that was that was God working there um, because it spoke about Moses and the veil he wore. So I want to talk about that for a minute. So and, and I'm not going to go digging back through scripture. I just want to talk to you for a minute and have a conversation here. So Moses, with his constant conversation directly with God, what started happening is as he would come out because he he would basically go into the tabernacle and either the pillar of fire or the cloud would sit down over, you know, and the fire didn't burn the tabernacle, but would sit down over the tabernacle while he was in it, if I remember this right. And then it would lift back up, or maybe that's incorrect. Maybe it would lift up and he would go in there and he would communicate with God. And when he'd come out, it'd set back down over it. But, but either way, whatever way it was, when he would finish speaking with God, the first time this ever, the first time that they noticed it, he, he came away from there and his face was glowing. His face had been so affected by being in God's presence that it glowed with the glory of God. So it got to the point that so it wouldn't freak out. And I'm sorry, I'm using our vernacular, but it so it wouldn't freak out the Israelites, the Hebrews that, that, you know, he's trying to lead through the desert. He started wearing a veil over it. So they wouldn't, so they could, they, they, you know, so it would be normal. He could have normal conversations with them. Now, supposedly, and if I remember the story right, over time, that would fade some, but then he'd go back in and talk to God and it would brighten right back up. Well, I mean, that's from the glory of God. It's glowing from the glory of God. He's being exposed to the glory of God. Well, if you understand, if, if we then jump forward, we have to remember, um, and, and this is going to be a wane of phrase, um, cause I'm not, I'm not pulling out the exact chapters and verses, but we know it's clearly stated that Jesus was not a remarkable looking man. That Jesus of Nazareth was not a remarkable looking man. He he's somebody that you'd walk by in a crowd. You wouldn't double. You wouldn't double take. You wouldn't. You, they he wouldn't stand out in a crowd. He would blend in like anybody else. So, but this is the son. This is the lamb who was slain. This is the lion of Judah. So we sit there and we go, how is that so? Well, he's been born. As a man, he was born as a man, his glory, the glory he was given. That's why he talks about, and he's spoken of it repeatedly. I mean, even think about it, even, even in this chapter, now father glorify me to give this chapter, or this is chapter 17, verse five. Now father glorify me together with yourself, with the glory, which I had with you before the world was meaning he had it in the past. He's not having it now, but he will have afterwards. In, in that case, it is that glory that rings out. Again, when we see the description of, of heaven and of the sea out there before the throne and the throne and all of its glowing and shining and all of this, well, so does the Father. So with Jesus Christ. So what we're seeing here, what we see there is the fact that when he comes as a man, that glory is removed. Not, not as in here, I'm going to take it away. But the fact is, for him to do the work of God here on the earth to bring salvation to us, he needed to set that glory aside. And we see that in multiple scriptures where he chose to set that. He humbled himself to set that glory aside, including that glow we're talking about. That's part of that glory. 
that sets him off. I mean, how many times have we seen that kind of thing in ridiculous Hollywood movies where they show him glowing? Well, we also have to think about it. Think of the story of the ascent uh, of the uh, transfiguration that, you know, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain and cloud comes down and all of a sudden they see Jesus transfigured showing that glory. It speaks of him showing that glory, the glory of God. And then that Elijah, and I think it's Elijah and Moses are standing there with him. And then of course, Peter goes to talk and the cloud comes down and those two are gone now. And then that glory goes away. He goes back to looking the way he was, but they were allowed that glimpse. Well, that glimpse, that's what he's talking about here. So that they may see my glory, which you have given me. So it's seeing the glory of Christ being set on the throne in the place of authority. He's the lion of Judah. He's the lamb who was slain. He is the one that God has set to pass judgment. That God has set to pass judgment. So we, we're, we're being brought, he's praying that we would be brought to see that. But also that we would get to see him glowing in all the, in all the glorious splendor of heaven. That's what he's speaking of there. And he goes on to talk about why that for you loved me before the foundation of the world, meaning God glorified him because he loved him. So from before the foundation of the world and while Jesus humbled himself to put that aside, to come and bring salvation to us and to die and, and triumph over death, rise again but then ascend to heaven. Well, when he ascended back to heaven, God laid that glory back to, uh, on his shoulders like, like a giant glowing robe, laid that glory back. And, and I'm not just talking in, 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 a, in, a, in a almost Hollywood-esque kind of, oh, bright shining robe, but it, it's laying that authority back on him, laying that godhood, that deity. That's what he's talking about is that they would we would be there and see his deity um, being shown. That's what he's speaking of here in verse 24 B um, and, and doing it. And, he, and he's saying that please bring them so they can come see it because you loved me before the foundation of the world. You had laid that glory on me. I want them to see that you've laid that glory back on me. And it's going to build into verse 25 and 26, which we will talk about because it makes very, very clear starts talking about the fact that the world does not know God. But, but Jesus does, and he talks about the teaching he has done through the disciples to us so that we know him. So we're, we're going to talk about that tomorrow night, God willing. But again, that's what he's saying is, you loved me and you gave me that glory. I've had that glory from before the foundation of the world. I've set it aside. Please bring them to me where they can see this glory again. They can see, and, and in this case, it's they can see that all, all that I've said is true. Again, like I said, he is praying this out loud in front of the disciples. He is praying this out loud so that they hear it. What he is stating clearly, what he is making a clear statement of, he's making a clear statement of his deity. Again, like I said, trying to strengthen their faith, a clear statement of his deity, that he is going to be back with the father. The father is going to glorify him. And he wants all those that have come to believe through the work of the disciples, through the New Testament, so down through history from that point, would, would come and be with him there 
and see this glory, which is a confirmation of his deity. That's what he's saying to them is, I'm deity, prefacing the fact, think about it, prefacing the fact that they're going to come and try to kill him, and they're going to. But he's deity. How long is he going to be dead? I mean, again, yes, we know. The 11, and I've said it, and I don't mean this as an insult, because I would be right there with them, that when Jesus gets arrested, they scatter like rats, like rats leaving a, a, a sinking ship. They scatter. So the, the strength of faith is not there. Well, and, and I know Dr. MacArthur says that it's not there at all. I, I Or that's the way he comes across. Maybe that's just my reading of his notes. But the way I see it is if they didn't still have some faith, they wouldn't come back. And we wouldn't see what they then carried forward, even with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what they carried forward as they carried the gospel to the ends of the known world. But he's continuing as he has for the last four chapters and he is in this chapter strengthening he's made those requests we saw that in his prayer for them he made those requests in front of them and now he's made those requests again the true unity that's for all of us who would believe through the works of the disciples but don't you think that's for unity within the disciples too they're believers too well then we're looking at this future glory that we would all see this future glory. Again, he's laying it out there to show clearly that he is deity. Therefore, no matter what man does to him, he's still on his throne and he will still be glorified by his heavenly father as he had been before the foundation of the world. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That is the focus of this future glory. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this evening. I thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that our time together here in the scripture helps us all to grow in our understanding of, of the gospel of John and of theology in general. All right. Well, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the third day evening prayer. It's called before sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee, ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us, thy promises encourage us, our broken hearts incite us, the mediator draws us, thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a great night, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good one. God bless.